0: I'm glad to be here with you. Hey, two weeks in a row now. I guess I, I guess I didn't completely blow it. Must have said something right. And not only that, the boss is in the house. So he actually likes listening to me as well. Uh, but if you're joining us for the first time, my name's Lee Gilligan, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Meadowbrook. And um, it's just awesome to be a part of this team and, and a part of what God is doing uh, in this community, uh, we're we're in a series called Believe here on Wednesday nights, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But how many of y'all were here uh, this last weekend for one of our Easter services? All right, God did some awesome things, and this was just really a historical weekend for us. We saw over 7,800 people come through this building uh, to to celebrate our risen Savior, and that's awesome. And I know Pastor Sean throughout the number, you know, we had 1,500 people in groups and 7,800 people here for Easter. And, you know, you hear all these numbers, but I said it last week. We say it from time to time. I'll say it again. We count people because people count. And, and the more people that we're reaching is the more evidence of what God is doing in those lives. And that's the goal. We, we want to spread the gospel and we want people to encounter a real risen Savior. So we had an incredible weekend uh, celebrating this past weekend uh, four packed services. And in fact, uh, Saturday night was uh, really by Far the biggest one, so that shows that you guys actually listened to your pastor and, and, and moved back to that Saturday service to make room on Sunday. And uh, had you not, I don't know what Sunday would have looked like, we would have been packed to the gills. But uh, we really could not have done this past weekend without, first of all, that you know, the help of the Holy Spirit, and then you guys um, being willing to invite. Uh, y- y'all really took that to heart and brought your, your friends and your family and, and, and your co-workers and your neighbors. And, and that's just an awesome thing. There's something powerful that happens through invitational uh, evangelism. And so thank you for that. Thank you to our core of uh, volunteers uh, for, for really, uh, you know, putting boots on the ground and making this whole thing run. And so we just celebrate what God did. So um, coming up this next weekend, we're kicking off a brand new series called Pray for a Change. And so, Pastor Tim is coming out of a huge weekend, headed into another one, and so I'm, I'm excited to be able to fill in tonight. But we want to encourage you to be uh, just geared up, be ready for, for this coming Sunday, uh, invite some more. We had invite cards this past weekend for Pray for a Change, and we didn't even make it through two services, and those cards were gone. So we're hoping to see a huge inflow of people uh, coming and to, to discover the truths of the power of prayer, and that our prayers really do... Uh, shape our circumstances. And I heard this said recently, bold prayers honor God. I'm sorry, God honors bold prayers. Let me get that right. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. And and so we need to pray big prayers and be a a praying people. And so we're going to learn a lot in that series. But here we are tonight and we are, um, I think this is week 14 or 15 of our Believe series, kind of taking time to just really walk through foundational elements of our faith, doctrine and theology, and making sure that we understand what it is that we believe. I mean, if you uh, confess to be a believer and you live your life based on a belief system, then it's important to really know what that is and that you're able to articulate that. And so we spent a lot of time um, walking through some issues um, this year and and spent a lot of time really looking at Scripture. And I'll get more into that in a minute. But tonight, our topic is, is on creation. And, and the title specifically is Creation for the Believer. Creation for the Believer. And so, um, yeah, this series really is for, uh, you know, anyone. You know, I realize there's some people who believe, some who don't know what they believe, some who want to believe but aren't sure where to start. But um, I want to show you, wherever you land on that spectrum, that creation, the biblical account of creation, really has some life-changing differences for the believer and so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight but before we get into that I, I i was thinking about it and every one of us has within us um a creative side you may not fancy yourself a creative there's some people that say "Oh, well, i don't have a creative bone in my body uh, but every one of us does and we all have different ways that we have creative outlets where through doing something we enjoy it's an outlet for our creativity even the way our brain is divided and wired, uh, there's a creative side to all of us. And we get that because we are a created being who has a very intricate and creative creator. And so, you know, that's part of us being in the image of God. But I realize, you know, watching my children grow that children are very creative. I was a very creative uh, boy growing up in big imagination and I, I realized that, that my son had, has much of that as well. He's almost four and he's a very passionate and he's uh, very strong-willed, very particular, and he gets all that from his mother. Um, It's it's a good blend. It's probably a good blend. My dad will testify to that, but but no, he's a a very uh, fun guy, and and the the more he learns, the more creative he gets, and um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the ways he has outlets for his creativity. Some of it, I realize, he's very creative when it comes to fashion. Some of the outfits that he assembles. So I wanted to show you all some of those tonight. If you want to put that first picture up. <laughs> there on the left, he's wearing his pajamas. The pants are actually inside out. And then he has socks on with his Toms. And if you're familiar with Tom shoes, you don't really wear socks with those. So that's at the grocery store. On the, on the uh, right there... The outfit's pretty normal till you get down and realize he has socks or sandals. I think he was applying to uh, go work at a Japanese steakhouse. So it just, he, he's not afraid of the fashion trends. He creates his own. And uh, so that's one way that he lets out his creativity. We have another one, too, I wanted to show you. Personal favorite. I love how the Spider-Man hat really complements that dinosaur outfit. So yeah, that, that, that's, he's, a, he's a creative guy. Um, we actually do pay attention to what he wears before we leave the house but that just happened to be three instances where it was a particular day where it's like it's not worth the fight just let him <laughs> let him wear what he wants to wear uh, another way he's creative is he's in preschool now, so through crafts, arts and crafts, he's really uh, loving that, and he'll bring home the funniest things made out of pine cones and glitter and construction paper, and it's just funny to see the stuff he brings home, and just even the smell, when you pull it out of his backpack, it's like a, a flood of memories. You, you remember being a little kid, and what the glue sticks smelled like, and all those things, um, so, so that's cool. He's also, I would say, one who dabbles in abstract creativity, and I, I have a picture of that. Fiona. All right. Now, before you say anything, (laughs) it's not what it appears to be. He was actually potty trained at the time, so excuse the the little potty on the ground. We'd actually just painted this wall, and Katie came in, and he's standing there with a a bottle, uh, a spray bottle of alcohol solution, and he had sprayed it all over the wall, and she goes, Buddy, what are you doing? He's like, Mom, I'm just making my Christmas trees. (laughs) And so he has the ability to see the abstract. And uh, I guess that's his outlet of creativity. He also is very creative when it comes to uh, certain questions. The way he, he, or or the way he words things. The other day, I was giving him a bath, and and he didn't want to take a bath. I said, well, buddy, you stink. And he goes, well, your breath stinks. (laughs) (laughs) And then he was at Publix, he was at Publix with Katie, waiting in line for a sandwich. And in the middle of, uh, you know, all these people waiting in line at the deli, he goes, mom, she goes, yeah. And he goes, how do babies get born? four years old and she did what any good mother did and she said ask your dad (laughs) so point I'm getting at all of us have a creative side and and it comes out in different ways but tonight we're going to look at uh, biblical creation but I want to let you know up front we're not refuting all the arguments against biblical creation Tonight, since we've kind of walked through about 14 weeks where we've been building the credibility and the basis of Scripture, we've established that Scripture is credible and that it's complete. And so, coming off that basis, we're not going to then refute creation. Now, there may be a time where we sit down and we talk about the arguments against creation and and what the Bible says and what some of the other arguments say against it. I believe there is a place for that. But for the sake of what we're doing tonight, um, this is on the basis of Scripture as true. Uh, We've spent plenty of time showing that scripture is credible. If you have uh, yet to listen to some of the teachings we've covered this year, I would encourage you to go back because we've talked about the revelation of scripture, the inspiration, the inerrancy, the authority, the canonicity, the illumination, and the sufficiency of scripture. And all those things are important things to understand when studying scripture. Now, it's no surprise there's a lot of debate Surrounding creation. There's all kinds of documentaries and movies and websites and blogs and and, uh, political figures and and people all over who have different views on that. And, you know, there's schools of thought like evolution and the Big Bang Theory, and everyone has an idea of how we came to be and how the universe came into existence. So we know there's a lot of debate, but as our pastor said this past weekend, he said part of him wanted to come out and, on talking about the resurrection on Easter, he said part of him wanted to just refute what all the naysayers would have to say about the resurrection. He said, but rather than spend time refuting the naysayers, we're going to point to what the yaysayer has to say. And so that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. I want to make a few important comments up front just to uh, kind of set the tone. While there is much debate surrounding creation now, um, it's important to know that prior to a few centuries ago, there really was very little debate surrounding it. Most held a theistic view of creation and of the universe. And then with uh, the age of enlightenment and advancements in science, there begin to be other schools of thought, and that's when that debate uh, begin to kind of arise. And so I have three points that I want to show you tonight. The first is this, that there is not a conflict between creation, or I'm sorry, between Christianity and science itself. There's not a conflict between Christianity and just science itself. Now, science is actually, uh, can go hand in hand with creation, uh, because the Christian worldview holds that God created the world with natural laws and systems and orderliness. And it is in fact those laws and that orderliness that can serve as the undergirding for all of science. So science, with a, a, a theistic approach on itself, or on its own, does not conflict with Christianity. Now, however, the second point I want to make is that Christianity definitely is in total conflict with scientific, that is a more naturalistic view. Now, naturalism is the belief that everything can be explained in terms of presently operating natural causes or laws, or rather that everything can be explained based on just what we can physically observe with the naked eye. And to say so would be to remove God from the conversation because you can't completely put God in a box. You can't really see everything that uh, the attributes of God that are so full and that you're so aware of. You can't y- y- explain that to a person who hasn't experienced that. And so when you remove God from that and, and science takes a, a naturalistic view rather than a theistic view, then there is total conflict between Christianity and naturalism. The third thing I want you to realize is that the Bible was not written with the intent of being a science textbook. That was not the intent of the Bible. Now, last week, I talked on the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and when you understand the sufficiency of Scripture, it basically means that Scripture is completely sufficient. It's, it's completely um, perfect and lacking nothing, meaning that everything we need to live this life can be found in Scripture. However, I did talk about the fact that there are certain things that are not completely black and white in Scripture. And so we live in a, a culture that's changing, we live in a world where there's a lot of things going on, and so we can study things in the natural, and then we use Scripture as our basis. All other knowledge is uh, discerned through Scripture. And so you can study science, but it's important to point it back to Scripture. But, remember, Scripture It's overall intent is not to be a scientific textbook. This really is what its main intent is. It's a theological narrative which reveals the God of creation. It's a theological narrative which reveals the God of creation. And this emphasizes God and his relationship with humanity. God and man. The creator and the created. Okay, y'all got that? I mean, these, these midweek series, especially with what we've been talking about, this is a lot more teaching, and so I don't want to just rush through this. I want to make sure, you know, we're taking good notes, and that we are, you know, if I need to repeat something, then I will. But I wanted to get those three points out up front. Now, every person, I, I believe, asks this question and wonders this, where did everything come from? Where, where did I come from? Where, how did this universe uh, come into existence? And I believe that every person within us, we have innate needs and we have uh, innate desires. Um, our, our pastors talked about the, the desire to uh, love and to be loved, to know and to be known, uh, to serve and to be served. We all have the desire for approval. We all have the desire to have a purpose and to know that our life has meaning. And, and one of the big desires that we have is to know where we came from, to know our origin. And it's important that you get this worth ...is derived from origin. The origin of something really determines its worth... ...and it's important that you understand where you came from. Let's look at some things, uh, for instance, coffee. There's different origins that beans are harvested... ...and based on those origins, the, the, the beans can actually be um, more valuable. There's uh, you know, wines, depending where they came from. There's uh, precious metals, and there's all kinds of natural things... ...that the origin really determines the worth... And so we have to understand that when it comes to people, there's a lot of people who struggle with worth issues when they don't have a clear understanding of their origin. When you don't know where you came from or or, or you um, are unclear of your origins, that's where worth issues creep in. That's why we have prison systems full of uh, people who came from a broken home. Maybe the father was absent. Maybe they uh, they were an orphan and they didn't have either parent. That's why we have... Uh, people who struggle with sexual identity and, 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 and their worth issues are really rooted in, in not having a clear understanding of your origin. And thankfully we, regardless of what's happened with your earthly father or your earthly origins, as believers we have a heavenly father. Amen. And, and he's the one who holds us and because we are his we are so valuable and we have such great worth upon us. Now I want to answer that question, where did everything come from? in the terms of scripture we already said that's going to be our basis for this topic of creation so let's look at a few scriptures and i'm going to start with one of the most plain and simple ones we're going to go to genesis this, genesis really is the creation book and that's where it all starts in genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth probably one of the most quoted pieces of scripture or you know you don't have to be a believer Be a believer to to know that piece of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What we see is not made out of things that were visible. Basically, we serve a God who made something from nothing. John 1 verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so we could go on and on and we could find Countless scriptures just like these that say it plain and simple that God was the creator and that he made everything we see and, and feel and experience, he, he brought that from nothing. But I want to go back to that first scripture, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let's cut that in half, let's just stop halfway. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Dot dot dot. Point I'm trying to show you is that in the beginning it was just God. He was there and he created. And when you look through scripture you see God described as having no beginning and having no end. You see that God is everlasting. He's described as being eternal and that's one of those things in the natural it's hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, I think we've all probably sat there and and kept ourselves awake at night trying to figure out how that that God could have no beginning and no end and when you try to understand that you're just going to go in circles because it makes no sense and it hurts your brain and and you're going to scare yourself so just don't waste time thinking about it maybe one day we'll understand it when we're face to face with him but for right now it doesn't matter because he is divine and he is complete and he is all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present and we are limited we are finite and so those things just it doesn't compute for us but it's important we understand he did not have a beginning he was there And so God created, in the beginning, God. The beginning is referring to the beginning of creation, not the beginning of God. God created something from nothing, as we saw in Hebrews 11.3. Which, if he created something from nothing, then that means he had no pre-existing materials to work with. There there was nothing there. He made even the pre-existing materials. Now, I I talk about all of us having a creative side in, in creating, but we all have resources. We all have supplies. We all have pre-existing materials. If Gavin brings crafts home, well, he didn't just create that out of thin air. You know, his teacher gave him the supplies and then he created from those things. Maybe it's a coffee barista. And maybe you're a barista and you concoct delicious drinks. But you didn't do that from scratch. You didn't create that out of nothing. You have uh, beans and a grinder and hot water and all the tools you need to do so. Maybe it's a carpenter carpenter creates things out of wood and that carpenter didn't create that from nothing he has tools and 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 he has you know wood and he has uh, you know saws and everything that he would need obviously you can tell I'm a carpenter through my uh, profound language involving (laughs) carpentry you get what I'm saying though Uh, let's take it and make it a little more personal within this setting a pastor I didn't create this sermon, per se. I, I brought it together with pre-existing materials, the Word of God, commentaries, pen and paper. Um, you know, there, there's things we all can create, but we have pre-existing materials to work with. But God had nothing. He created those pre-existing materials. I heard this quote the other day. It said, he truly started from scratch because he made even the scratch. <laughs> he truly started from scratch because he made even the scratch. There was no other source. He was the source. Now that's very important for us as a believer. You may have heard people say, oh, well, God's your source. Now think about it. He is the source. And I'm going to kind of open this up a little bit more here in a minute. But this is the biggest thing I want you to get before I get into talking about these differences that creation brings about in our life. Know that God freely created He freely created, meaning that creation wasn't a necessary act of God. He didn't have to do that. And it wasn't a result of external forces acting upon him that made him create. No, he freely created. He chose to create. We serve a God who's perfect and and complete, and so he doesn't need anything. So the fact that he chose to create shows uh, that he valued his creation. And he obviously had purpose and intent to do so. And so that's where we come in. And that's where we're going to begin to see the differences that creation makes in our life as a believer. I believe there's several conclusions from God's creation that makes these differences in our lives. And so I'm going to, we've got five of them here. if you're taking notes, please write these down. The first one is this. Everything has value because God made it. Every single thing has value because God made it. We serve not only a creator, uh, but a restorer. Okay, and, and, and I'll try and explain this as best as I can. We live in a fallen world, okay, and, and man has messed up, and we've created a mess, and there's sickness, and there's death, and there's lack and there's disaster. And a lot of times people don't understand. And, and we make God the, um, the one we blame for that. And we say, how could God let this happen? And if he is this great creator, well, if these things happen, does that mean God caused it? And a lot of people get stumped on that. And I'm going to say, no, God is not the cause when things go bad, okay? Just because God had foreknowledge, don't confuse foreknowledge with causation. Because he created man with a free will. And, and he's not a puppeteer. He didn't create us just so he could move puzzle pieces all over the place. He created us in, within this world with a free will. And so man chose to rebel against what God had asked, going all the way back to the garden. And so that spawned an effect, and we're experiencing the effects of that um, th- through our fallen world. But understand this, just because our world is fallen, just because things are hard, just because there is sickness and death and, and lack, know that God is also a restorer. It's not like he created and they said, "Oh, you messed up. Now you're on your own." No, we just had a whole weekend celebrating uh what he came to do to redeem us and to save us. But right now, I want to show you some things and this some of you this this may not jive with, but that point I made, everything has value because God made it. So guess what? God made the sinner. And God values the sinner. Now does he like the sin? No. But every one of us, guess what? What does the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, the person sitting next to you is a sinner and God made us and God values us. Despite that sin, he still loves us and he still has a plan and a purpose for us. God values the victim. God did not cause someone to be the victim. That, that, I don't think that was a p- part of his plan and maybe you're going through something in your life where you've become the victim of something outside of your control. And, and people look at you different now and people judge you or people have dismissed you because you are in this victim state and you feel alone and you feel hurting. Well, guess what? God made you. He didn't make you a victim. He sees you as pure and he sees you as whole and he values you because he made you. I believe that God can take something like failure and he can show us the value in that. No one wants to fail. No one wants to mess up. But guess what? The Bible talks about beauty from ashes and how God can make all things work together for our good. And so even if you've messed up, even if you've fallen short, even if you've done something that you wish you could take back, you can look at that situation and you don't have to stay in that failure. You can move forward and learn from that and walk away with knowledge and strength and faith knowing that you got through that. God made you and God values you. I believe in even the debate and the controversy surrounding creation has value. Because a lot of people, a lot of uh, believers are afraid to question. They're afraid to question maybe what they were taught growing up or or, or to think uh, past what they already know. But I believe questioning is good. I believe a lot of times debate and controversy are good because if our heart is right and we truly are trying to get to the core of truth, it'll drive us closer to God It'll drive us closer to the truth and what his scriptures have to say about that. And it will produce within us a greater faith. And so I could go on and on about things that we may see as negative, but God created everything. And and what he created uh, has value. And, And he's a restorer. And so he can restore even the worst things. Let's go to the next one. Number two, our artistic abilities reflect us being made in God's image. And the use of our artistic abilities glorifies him. Okay? Our artistic abilities... Reflect us being made in God's image, and when we use them, that in turn glorifies Him. First Corinthians 10:31 says, "Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God." Colossians 3:17 says, "In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." And so what I'm getting at is you were created in His image. The, the creator and the created. I, I told you at the beginning that the Bible is not a, a science textbook, but really it's a theological narrative that shows uh, the emphasis being the relationship between God and humanity, between God and his creation. And he created us in his image. And so whatever it is that you do, maybe right now you're not in the career that's like, oh, I, I love this. Maybe there's another place you desire to be. But everything you set your hand to do, every, everything that you set out, to accomplish can be something that you use to turn and glorify God. Maybe it's not your favorite thing to do in the world. Uh, maybe maybe you, uh, you... I realize there's all kinds of different careers in here. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you sell insurance. Maybe you do lawns. Maybe you're a coffee barista. Maybe you're in sales. Maybe you're whatever... You don't have to be in full-time ministry to do something that brings glory to God because we were created in His image and when we do things um, with the right heart, realizing that we're created in His image and we, and we uh, let out those abilities, we can point right back to Him and glorify Him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Number three, because creation by a designer implies order, scientific study of the universe is possible. Because creation by a designer implies order. Scientific study of the universe is possible. And this goes back to one of those opening comments I said, um, that when we look at that orderliness and we look at God's laws and his systems, those very things can be the entire undergirding for science to help us understand the world in which we live. Number four, the number four difference that I see in our lives as a result of God's creation is while we are not... God, we exist to glorify God. While, while you are not eternal or self-sufficient on your own, you still exist to glorify God. I want to go to Isaiah 43, verses 7 through 12. And it says this, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes You are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And so, in this passage, in this chapter, when you read it, the Lord is showing that He is the only Savior for Israel. And I studied out in the ESV commentary this is what it has to say about that passage of Scripture that God's people are living, breathing proof of His glory. Which really is the ultimate goal in salvation. And further, God's people exist in order to declare his exclusive deity. And so while you are not eternal or self sufficient, and while we are not God, we exist to glorify God. Our existence declares his exclusiveness. All right? Number five true worship begins with acknowledging God as creator. True worship begins with acknowledging God as creator. You hear a a word all the time used in in the Christian faith. That word is worship. And a lot of times we think of it just in terms of the musical portion of the service. Um, now, Now what happens at the front half of the service? Praise and worship. Yeah, that is an outlet of worship. That is a way that we can corporately come together and express that worship. But really worship is a lifestyle response to God for who He is and what He's done in our lives. It's, it's, it's a way to bring glory back to Him. Worship is not about us and what we get out of it, but it's about what we give. And when we give, then that's when we experience what He can shower us with, His peace and His love and His mercies. And that's why worship is such a beautiful time, because when you just surrender and you lay those things down and say, God, have your way, that's when He begins to minister and to you. But true worship begins with acknowledging God as creator, because if we are going to live a lifestyle of worship, what, what's, what's the power or the worth in worshiping someone who's not all-powerful? What's the point of, of living a lifestyle of worship to someone who has no creative abilities? But when we look at God as the creator, there's such great purpose in that. He created all and everything is under him. We were created in his image, creator and created, and worship is the only true response towards God. Let that sink in just a little bit. But just picture he's, he's all powerful. He put everything into motion. That's a being that's worth being worshipped. Okay? So we've, we've kind of just walked through five differences that creation makes in our life, but I, I think it all boils down really to this result. And I'm going to ask this question first. How many of y'all, don't put your hands up yet, how many of y'all, have had something incredible or miraculous happen in your life, even when the circumstances surrounding you, it didn't make sense based on the circumstances, but yet something incredible happened in your life. Let me see a show of hands. Okay. I know that I've definitely seen God move in my life. And, and, and if people use the word miracles, and, 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 but a lot of times that, that's just become a cliche word. You know, even the unbeliever uses the word miracle or miraculous. And so this is what I want to show to you. If we take God out of the picture, then that amazing thing that happened in your life or that miraculous instance was really an act of chance rather than an act of God. So therefore, in the future, the only thing you have to place your faith in is chance. It's just like, oh, well, I lucked out that time, and this amazing thing happened despite my circumstances. But in the future, what really do you have to go on other than just hoping for chance again, a luck of the draw, a a win of the lottery? But when you see God as creator, you realize that he can do that again. Okay, let's back up. When I said, in the beginning, God, that he was there at the start, and he is the one who put creation into motion. So if there was nothing prior to creation, just God then that means that there was no height, there was no width, there was no length, there was no depth, there was no time, there was no space, there was no circumstance, there was no matter, there was no money, there were no people, there were no problems, there were no feelings or emotions, there was nothing. Okay, and so we can get lost and say, oh, there's just so much going on in my life and, and I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, my circumstances are so dire, my health is, is, is not good. You, we can look at all those things and get overwhelmed. And you may currently have circumstances like that in your life where you just feel like everything is out of control. But when you put God in his rightful place as creator, you serve the one who created time. The one who created space. The one who created matter. The one who is above circumstance and is above your finances. And and he created your body and knows every number of hair on your head. He knows the number of your days. And so I think he's fully capable of touching your body and quickening you and healing you. The point I'm trying to get is that this is not all chance. We serve a God who was deliberate, who freely chose to create. He was so precise, so intent, so uh, perfectly constructed the world in which we live. And so if he is above all that, then nothing you're facing right now is too small or too big for him. Amen? Amen. So your future hopes are not rooted in chance. Your future hopes are rooted in an all-powerful creator, a creator that you can trust and you can put your faith in. He's fully capable of doing everything that is beyond you. Our God is a creator, and, and to create is to bring something into existence. And I want to close with this. There was no other source. He was the source. And he is your source. Okay? There was no other source. There was no pre-existing materials. There was nothing, nothing to work with. He brought everything out of nothing. He is the source. And he is your source. Amen? Did y'all get anything at all out of this tonight?